It's a new start. It's a new opportunity. And His mercies are there to meet us each morning. You know, Ethan, the Ezraite, he, he said, I'll sing about this, man. Um, this is what he wants to remind the Lord of. This is what he finds encouragement in. Look at verse 3. He says, and he's quoting from the Lord, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David. Your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. If you go back, and again, you probably should mark this right here, but if you go back to Second Samuel chapter 7, you see the covenant that was made with David. In Second Samuel chapter 7, um, look what it says in verse 8. It says, Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people, Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house, or you might even say like a dynasty, right? He says, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom for how long? Forever. That was the Davidic covenant. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. And so you go back to Psalm 89 and the Lord said, hey, I made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish, there it is again, forever and build up your throne to all generations. And then he noticed that has that word right there, Salah. He says, Lord, and it's kind of funny because when you read the Psalms, it's uh, usually for us to think about. But I think this Psalm right here, the psalmist is saying, God, you think about this one. <laughs> this is a promise that you made. And so, Lord, can you kind of remember this? Can you think about this? He goes on to just describe how awesome God is. And I do want to encourage you guys. I know life is busy and there's a lot of things to, to do. you got to go to Burger King and Taco Bell and Jack in the Box and in and out And then after that, you've got to watch the cake show and uh, all the crazy things on TV. And then you've got to go to work and you got to go to school and you got to, you know, mow the grass and wash the car and wash the cat. And there's just a million things that you have to do in life, man. But make sure that you take time to get to know God. Get to know how he is, who he is, and his character. It will change your life. He goes on and he describes the Lord. In verse 5, he says, And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. 
For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? Uh, are you in love with God? I mean, are you just whipped on the Lord? You should be. And there should be nobody that rivals him. You know, you girls, it's cool to have boyfriends, but there's no one like the Lord. And you guys, it's cool to have girlfriends and friends, but there's no one like the Lord. And there's pastors and there's leaders and there's teachers and there's mentors and there's fathers and mothers. And there's just a whole bunch of people. As you get older like me, you begin to have kids and then grandkids. And, and they're all wonderful and they're all amazing. But who's like the Lord? I mean, there's just nobody that we can compare to him. He says right there, in verse 7, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. And that's kind of a funny uh, way of putting it. You know, we would normally say, you know, his faithfulness surrounds you. But he says your faithfulness surrounds you i mean it's just all around the lord that's his faithfulness he says right there in verse 9 you rule the weight raging of the sea and when its waves rise you still them it's amazing what the lord can do and he does all the time you know when i read this verse right there what do you guys think of jesus huh yeah, it's always good to study the life of Jesus in every Bible study, I think. Let's go over to Mark chapter 4, the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Because this is what the Lord does. I mean, he's able to do. Have you guys ever gone to the beach and just get, have you ever gotten wrecked by a wave just out of curiosity? How many of you have ever done that, man? I've gotten beaten up, and I think I broke my neck like three times. <laughs> you get in that washing machine. I don't know if I ever told you guys this, but, man, I've, I've gone whitewater rafting four times, okay? The last time I went, I almost died. That's why it's the last time. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, it was crazy, you know. Um, you go whitewater rafting, and when you go whitewater rafting, you have to sign a covenant that says, if you die, they can't sue you, man. And the guides are, are pretty good, but, but you know what? If your head hits a rock, see ya. And if you go underneath the water, and we can't see it from where we're at, but there are trees underneath there. And so if you go down in the water and your legs get stuck in the trees, you can't come up. And you sometimes you can get caught in, in you know, different... It's just a crazy thing. And so what happened when we went whitewater rafting is the guide did... He went to a place he shouldn't have gone to. And it just... It wasn't my fault, honest, man. You're thinking, oh, it's probably your fault. No, it just catapulted me into the, into the raging river, man. And, uh, and I, were you there, Sal? Anybody here was there? Okay, let me exaggerate a little bit. Okay. <laughs> Steve, were you there? Okay, Steve was there. Okay, he's my witness. I better be honest now. <laughs> no, anyways, what ended up happening was, man, I, I was going under, and I thought, you know what, I'm cool. I'm, I'm the pastor. You know, i got to make sure I don't freak out or anything, you know. want to be a good witness here, man. But then I went over that first rock, and it was hard. And it just, I tried. They tell you, okay, you got to put your feet first. 
because you don't want to hit your, your head on a rock and your feet first. You go down, and, uh, and what ended up happening was when I hit the rock, there was nothing I could do. Boom, it flipped me over to my front. Uh, first of all, everything uh, on my legs hit the hard rock, and then, boom, I went under. And, and when I went under, I went under. And I wasn't sure if I was coming back up. Try not to panic, but then, you know, you, you know finally I got back up. And, and the next thing you know, um, I find myself just just going down the river. All the boats, everybody's freaking out. Ah, you know, the pastor's dying and stuff. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, but, but basically, there was, there was nothing I could do. There was nothing I could do except pray. And, and, and the Lord heard my cry, man. The Lord rescued me, you know. And this may not be whitewater rafting. This is more like that crazy storm in the middle of the lake where they say it would just happen suddenly and the winds would just mix and you know it was probably a demonic opposition maybe in your life you experience storms and things and craziness that happens and it's just the enemy coming against you and so the lord he records this in matthew and mark we see it again in john chapter six and look what it says right here in mark it says in Chapter 4, verse 35, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Okay, what did he say? Let us, let us cross over to the other side. Okay, okay, you got to remember that. Okay, let us cross over. So what's going to happen? They're going to cross over to the other side, right? But they have a little detour. It says, In verse 36, now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. You know, and I don't know if you've ever been in that type of situation, but maybe you've seen, you know, the movies, and you know how vicious the waves can be. And so the water's coming in, and uh, it's filling the boat, and that's not the way it's supposed to be just to let you know the boat's supposed to be in the water not the water in the boat and so it was filling up and says in verse 38 but he was in the stern asleep on a pillow the lord was asleep you know and maybe there's a physiological explanation for this have you ever been so exhausted that you can sleep through anything you know i wouldn't be surprised if there was you know that explanation I have a feeling that Jesus would pray all night. He'd wake up early before the sun would rise. He'd be ministering. And, you know, when you're ministering, you might think, well, that's not hard work. You know, construction's hard work. And it's true. It's not like digging holes or anything. But let me tell you something. When you're ministering, especially like Jesus ministering, I mean, it is just so draining. And so there he is. He's asleep in the middle of the storm. And so what ends up happening is they awoke him and they said to him, Teacher, Do you not care that we are perishing? Okay, there's two really, really big lies here. Number one, they didn't think that he cared. And number two, they thought that they were perishing. And and what it was, was it was all part of God's plan. I mean, the Lord told them to get into the boat. They were just being obedient. You know, just because you face opposition or just because you face struggles or just because you have hard times, it doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. But when you're there, 
Don't question his care. Oh, let me tell you something, man. He cares for you. He knows how many hairs you have. He knows how many tears you've cried. He knows that today in Psalm 139, we read everything about him. He knows where you're sitting right now. Um, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says to cast all your care upon him. Why? For he cares for you. Oh, he cares. And, and, and you're not perishing. Are you a child of God? Guess where you're headed? You're headed home. You're headed home to heaven. And so you may wonder, well, it seems like the Lord's sleeping. No offense, Matty, but to me, I just don't see him moving. Oh, he's moving. He's there. What we need to do, and, and probably the mistake the disciples made was they freaked out. That's what they did. That's the mistake they made. They freaked out. They probably should have just went up to Jesus and said, Lord, you know what? I'm sorry to um, disturb you. I know you're you're getting, you know, some rest, well-deserved rest, Lord. But could you help us, please? You know, I know you can. And, you know, there's just this storm going on. We're sinking. And so I just want to ask for your help. Do you think the Lord would have been cool with that? He would have been cool, huh? Who knows? Maybe he even wanted them to check it out and just say, you know what, Lord, you told us we're going to make it to the other side. And and maybe they should have got in the circle and started praying. Lord, deal with this storm. Deal with this situation. But, you know, they didn't. And so what ends up happening in verse 39 is he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? See, the Lord just wants us to know who he is. And as we understand that he is able to calm the the storms and, you know, uh, rebuke the enemies, um, I think it gives us a peace that we need to have in life. where We can face all our fears. You know, I know some of you, you know, are going through things. And we're going to see in our study today, um, you're wondering how long. How long do I have to go through this, God? And what we're going to find today is that he's got his perfect timing to put everything together. He says right there in verse 40, how is it that you have no faith? He was tripping out on them. Man, you guys should know better by now. Haven't you seen everything that I've done? And I think for us as Christians, I think he really wants us to have that confidence in him. And so back in Psalms, he's just talking about how great God is. And he says again in verse 9, you rule the raging of the sea. You, when its waves rise, it says you still them. And you have broken, it says Rahab. We, we, we believe that's probably in reference to Egypt. You've broken it in pieces as one who was slain. You have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all its fullness. You have founded them. The north and the south. You have created them. Tabar and Hermon rejoice in your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. And high is your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Blessed are the people 
who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name, notice it says, they rejoice all day long. I mean, he's just talking about, you know, an individual here who just understands how great God is. It's all about you. It's all about his right hand and and his creation and his earth and everything belongs to him. You know, when we get to know the Lord, it's important for us to be able to, you know, put everything together. And uh, this psalmist right here, I, I don't know, you know, if you guys ever pray like this, but it's good to pray um, truth. It's good to pray Bible. It's good to pray uh, things about the Lord that you can kind of even remind him of. Uh, I think he likes that. It says right there in verse 16, In your name they rejoice all day long. You know, when you really get to know the Lord, I, I mentioned this earlier today, the way that it works, you guys, is um, is simplicity. Acts chapter 2, it talks about uh, with gladness and simplicity of heart. Simplicity brings joy. And then joy, it says in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, the joy of the Lord is our strength. You know, life's not really complicated. Um, as a Christian, it's not. God just wants you to follow Him. God wants us to have a personal relationship with Him. You know, I could have a personal relationship with Robert, and he's a pretty cool bro, man. You know, but how do I do that? Well, I got to spend time with him. I got to get to know him. I find out he likes Fruit Loops, stuff like that. You know, we get to hang out together. You know, and so what do I do? I go, I buy him Fruit Loops, man. And he says, Hey, Manny, I like double double animal style. And so when I go to In and Out, you know, I I get him a double double animal style. I, I I get to know him, and then he gets to know me, and we walk together, we talk together, we go through life. You know. That, that's how it is with God. You know, it, it's like that. Although I can't touch Him, I, I can walk with Him. Although I can't hear Him with these ears, I hear Him with the eyes of my heart. Um, my feet follow in His footsteps. I learn what He likes. And I find out how awesome He is. And, you know, Jesus told Peter, real profound, you know, ministry training. <laughs> Love me. Feed my sheep and follow me. And that's what we need to do, you guys, in life, is to have that personal relationship with the Lord. And and when we have that relationship, it says in verse 16 that we rejoice all day long. It says in verse 16 that in your righteousness they are exalted. And that's so true, huh? Because of the Lord, man, he takes care of us. He says, for you are the glory of their strength. And in your favor, our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord and our King to the Holy One of Israel. Then you spoke in a vision to your Holy One and said, I have given help to one is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found my servant David with my holy oil. I have anointed him with whom my hand shall be established. Also, my arm shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. 
I will beat down his foes before his face and plague those who hate him. Now, as we get into the the study right here, we're going to see, and the way that prophecy works, you guys, is that he's going to be referring to David, but in that, you know, a mysterious way, there's going to be just the fading in and out of Jesus at the same time. You know, and it's almost like you read it and you're thinking, well, who's he talking about? David and Jesus. And sometimes it's David and sometimes it's Jesus and sometimes it's both. And that's why, you know, you have to learn that that's how the Bible is to be interpreted. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter four, when Jesus quoted Isaiah 61, he stopped on what we put in as a comma. Because right there between this word and this word is the first coming and the second coming. And so we learn that we can interpret the Bible that way. Sometimes it's David, sometimes it's Jesus, sometimes it's both. And that's what we see here. We see that a lot in the Psalms. And he just talks about his servant David, how he anointed him. He established you know, his hand upon him, his arm would strengthen him. I like what it says in verse 22, huh? The enemy shall not outwit him. I like that. Because I, I'm not smart. That's the bottom line, man. You know, some people are chess players in life. Any of you guys like chess? I like chess. I remember, forget the first time that I beat my uncle. I was uh, uh, so excited. He thought he was the best chess player in the world, man. And I was probably about 14, and I beat him. And you know, eventually you get lucky. But, um, well, when then what happened was I started taking drugs. And like I tell my kids, uh, I, my brain got messed up, man. I'm not smart at all. Earlier, it was kind of funny. I was talking to Rich in the back room. And I'm all, okay, these four by eight, you know, um, platforms, they're going to be used at the uh, Mountain View uh, outreach over there. And so there's five of them and four by eight. And so the uh, other guy, the musician guy, he said, um, well, okay, so what's the square footage on that? And so I started calculating it in my brain, and all of a sudden my brain died. It's like the battery died in my brain. And I said, you know what? I can't think right now. It just doesn't work. It's too profound for me. Four by eight by five, it just... Uh, and some of you already got it calculated. Boom, right? <laughs> but for me, I'm not smart. And so you're thinking, well, Manny, how are you going to make it in life? Oh, man. Thank God for the Lord, man. You know, I'm not smart enough. Some people, what they do, even in life and in conversations, there's a manipulation that's going on. They're thinking three steps ahead. I'm trying to catch up, you know. <laughs> I'm just not that smart. But because we belong to the Lord and because there's anointing upon our life, it says right there, the enemy won't outwit him. I love that. Nor the son of wickedness afflict him. God says, I will beat down his foes before his face and plague those who hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him. And in my name, his horn shall be exalted. Also, I will set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God and the rock of my salvation. Also, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. One of the strongest elements that shows us that this book is divine is the prophetic nature of it. You know, when Jesus Christ came, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but in his first coming, he fulfilled 
300 prophecies. Some say over 300 prophecies. If you get a chance, pick up the book by Herbert Lockyer. It's called All the Messianic Prophecies. And you can look at them one by one, 300 prophecies. They say that the odds of fulfilling the uh, 300 prophecies in any one life are the same as if you were to take the state of Texas and cover it two feet deep in silver dollars. Okay, now think, Texas is big, okay? The state of Texas, two feet deep in silver dollars. Okay, now you take one of those silver dollars, just one, and you put an X on it, put a little red X on it, put your name on it, your initials on it, whatever, and then you toss it in to the state of Texas somewhere, fly a helicopter over it and drop it down. Then you take someone and blindfold him, and you tell him, okay, you get one shot, I want you to pick that silver dollar. I mean, it's crazy. The mathematical odds of one individual fulfilling even eight prophecies, but Jesus Christ fulfilled 300 of them. And what we find right here is the, the prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ. There in verse 27, he says, Also, I will make him my firstborn. It's a reference, uh, you can cross-reference Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Now, it doesn't mean that he was the first of God's creation, what that means is that he has the rights of the firstborn, that to him would be the inheritance passed on, the authority from the Father. You know, we see that in Jesus, and I like what it says right here, the highest of the kings of the earth. Like we said earlier today, the Lord of lords and the King of kings. But speaking of the lineage of David, he says, My mercy I will keep for him forever. And my covenant shall stand firm with him. His seed also I will make to endure forever. And his throne as the days of heaven. And what we find in the Bible and is something to look forward to is that Obama's not always going to be over you know, the United States. And uh, uh, recently I, I heard a, a, an article saying that he thinks he's the ruler of the world. Really, that's his problem. You know, and one day we are going to have an individual who it will rule the world. It's the Antichrist, and we're going to get a piece of that. Hopefully we as Christians, I don't think we're going to be here to see that. But, you know, one day Jesus will reign. And we find that within the scriptures that when he's talking about his seed forever that's established, what that means is that Jesus will come one day and rule on earth for a thousand years. And then when you see even in the kingdom, the Lord will deliver ultimately the kingdom to the Father. But because of the fact that they're one, it's still within his hands. And so what we find is that, you know, guys, on the prophetic calendar, we believe that the rapture will take place. That can happen at any time. It might even happen before I say this word. It can happen at any time. Are you ready? Are you ready for the rapture? After that comes seven-year tribulation. The first three and a half years will be relatively peaceful. But then after that becomes Jacob's trouble. And then it just is all hell on earth, on earth you know. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 to chapter 19. But then after that, Jesus Christ comes back. We come back with him. Okay, we're going to be on horses. How many of you here have ridden a horse before? Okay, keep practicing, all right? Because <laughs> then we'll be in the front of the line. And we're going to ride on horses, and we're going to come back, and we're going to turn with him, and we're going to reign with him. They call it the millennial kingdom for a thousand years. 
Now, I'm not sure really at all the mathematics, but from what I understand, if you calculate from Abraham, I mean from Adam to Abraham, there's 2,000 years. From Abraham to Jesus, another 2,000 years. From Christ to now, we got approximately another 2,000 years. So how much is that? 6,000 years. With a 1,000-year reign of Christ, how much is that? 7,000 years. Seven is the number of perfection. It just seems like everything is lined up now. But Jesus will reign as king with a rod of iron. He will rule, and it's going to be so cool. And you see, the, you know, they knew these prophecies. It's etched in the book of Daniel. Uh, you see it throughout the scriptures. That's why when Jesus came the first time and he died, they didn't understand it. They thought, no, wait a minute. The Messiah is supposed to set up his kingdom. Man, are you going to now establish the kingdom in Israel? They just didn't get it. And their preconceived ideas didn't understand that there was a first and second coming. But one day he will. And he will rule in Jerusalem. It says in verse 30, If his sons forsake my law, now we're speaking of David's lineage, and do not walk in my judgments, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with a rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. You know, and again, like I said earlier, sometimes you're referring to David and then it, boom, it switches over to Christ. And then, you know, sometimes it's both. And here we see the Lord referring to, to David. And, you know, when you look at the history of Israel, you have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom, uh, the lineage of David, Judah, they continued to rule there. The northern kingdom didn't, and eventually they were taken away. The southern kingdom continued to follow the Lord, but, you know, God began to chasten them. But he didn't forsake them. And that's what we see will then lead to the coming of Christ. You know, when you look at Jesus and you read Matthew chapter 1, you find that he's a descendant of David, huh? And that's why you have two lineages. In the Gospel of Luke, you have the lineage of Mary which doesn't include the curse. But then when you have the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, you have the lineage of Jesus traced through David, and what we see is his messianic and kingly lineage. But anyways, it says in verse uh, 38, oh, verse 37, it shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. And notice there's the word Salah there. And so what does Salah mean? Think about it. Okay, ponder this. Meditate on it. And again, it's probably us saying, okay, you guys in Calvary Chapel, Almani, there you are. I want you to meditate on this. But I just can't help but think of this psalmist saying, Lord, you meditate on this. Lord, this is a promise that, that you made. You know, my kids do this with me sometimes. They really do. My son will catch me on a, on a weak moment, on a, on like a weak moment, and he'll say, Dad, uh, you know, can we go to round table later? And I'll be like, sure, sure, I'm over here on the computer or whatever, you know? And then later on in the day, uh, he says, okay, Dad, I'm ready to go. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, you said we were going to go to round table earlier. And I'll be like, I did? He said, yeah, pepperoni and mushrooms, let's go. <laughs> and, you know, and what do I have to do? I've got to go. 
okay, because I said it. Now, it's kind of like that, of course, not exactly. The Lord said, this is what I'm going to do with David. I will establish his seed forever. There is a destiny. There is a dynasty. There is a promise. And so the writer of the Psalms, as he's going through what he's going through now, and again, maybe their king was utterly defeated. Maybe they're in captivity. It just doesn't make sense. He says, Lord, you said. You said. And I think it's cool. We can do that to the Lord. You said. And I think he gets blessed by that. That's verses 1 through 37. You said. This is the type of God you are. You're a faithful God. You're a merciful God. You're a wonderful God. You're an all-powerful God. There's just no way that this can't happen. But then he says in verse 38, But I don't get it, Lord. You have cast off and abhorred. You have been furious with your anointed. You have renounced the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. You have broken down all his hedges. You have brought his strongholds to ruin. All who pass by the way plunder him. He is a reproach to his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword and have not sustained him in the battle. You have made his glory cease and cast his throne down to the ground. The days of his youth you have shortened. You have covered him with shame, Selah. Now, in reading that right there, uh, probably a couple of things to take away f- with uh, uh, with us, I, I think, in that. It's okay to, to, sh- to share your heart with the Lord, man. You know, I, I think there is a, a, a difference between a praying a prayer to God and complaining to other people. You know, sometimes we complain to other people, and that's probably not cool. You know, the Bible talks about the children of Israel. They complained a lot in the tents, uh, and God heard them. But it's probably okay to take it to the Lord, huh? And we see that a lot of times in the Psalms. And homeboy right here, he's getting very specific. Boom, boom, boom. These are all the things, Lord, that in my life that I just don't understand. I, I just don't understand this, Lord. And then he goes on and he gives, he gives us that classic question, how long? Verse 46, how long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? And I think, you know, when a week goes by, we're okay with it. And then maybe a month. But then when that month turns into months and then years and a decade goes by and you still find yourself in that situation, um, you know, you can definitely ask how long. Now, I don't know about you, but we live in a microwave society. So for me, you know, five minutes is too long, you know. It's funny how we as men, a lot of times we can't take the pain, huh? The girls put us to shame, you know. They can take the pain. I guess that's why they have kids. Thank God for that. (laughs) You know, but we as men, we get very impatient or we just, we cry. And and, and a lot of times that's what ends up happening. Um, You know, and you look at, you know, individuals in the Bible and I think we we take courage from them, you know. Um, They say that David waited 13 years before he became king. 
Um, imagine that. They anointed you, and then, you know, you say you're going to be the next king, and you, you start fighting battles, and you're doing really good. Um, but um, then what ends up happening is you're doing everything right, and then Saul comes against you and starts chasing you down and hunting you in the cave. We don't know for sure, 10, 11 years. That, that's a long time. We know for sure that Joseph waited 13 years, huh? Abraham waited at least 25 years, depending on when you count it, you know, 75, 100, 25 years. Who here would wait 25 years? <laughs> you know, I have a, 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 a brother-in-law, really cool guy. I'm blessed to have him as a brother-in-law. He got married when he was 50 years old. He waited on the Lord. And I know some single people, they're, they're like, there ain't no way I'm waiting until I'm 50, man. <laughs> you know, but man, be careful. Don't make a mistake marrying the wrong person. You know, and we wait, you know, for so many things, for our ministry opportunities, for job opportunities, you know, for the, the pain to go away or this situation to be fixed or whatever it might be, um, our dignity to be restored. And 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 the question is like, okay, Lord, how long? And we read that over and over again in the Psalms. As a matter of fact, I found eight times in the Psalms where the psalmist asked, how long? And I always want to encourage you guys in this. Remember this, no matter what your situation is, okay, that God is on the throne. And if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness then he's going to take care of you and he's going to p- keep you in his perfect will. He's going to keep you in the in the palm of his hand. And as you're there seeking the Lord, like, you know, if I could just say this, you Sunday nighters, you guys are elite. Okay, you get like 10 brownie points for coming on a Sunday night. You know, on Sunday mornings, we get everybody that comes in. Nobody comes on Sunday nights hardly. And that's okay. The, the Lord knows that they're doing things they need to do anyways. Um, but you're seeking the Lord. I would imagine that's why you're here on a Sunday night. Because in America, there is a million other things to do tonight. But you're seeking the Lord. And so I would say to you that as you're seeking the Lord in that, to have a peace, to know that He's on the throne, and to know that God will save the day, that God will come through, that God right on time will grant you even that desire of your heart. One thing I want to tell you, though, is that God's not going to be early. He's not. You're like, well, can he please be early? No, he's not. And he's not going to be late, right? God has the amazing capacity to be right on time. You know, just as a quick side note, on you know, since we have a few extra minutes right here, you know, I always uh, tell people, listen, man, if you want to be on time, be early. Isn't that true? Because if you try to be there right on time, what's going to happen? You're going to get there late, right? And you're going to get really mad on the freeway. <laughs> you know, we can't get there right on time, but God can. And that's exactly what He does. And so we read right here, How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire Remember how short my time is. For what futility have you created all the children of men? What 
man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his life from the power of the grave, Salah? He's basically saying, you know, I'm going to die, Lord. You know that. You know that all men die. I want to see this. I want to see this happen. You know, when we get to heaven, everything's going to be cool. There's not going to be any challenges there. But what the psalmist is saying is, I want to win on earth. And I like that psalm. I think it might be Psalm 27. I'm not sure. But he said to the essence of, I think I would have, would, have, would have lost heart unless I would have believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I think that's cool. This guy's saying, Lord, please, before I die, I want to see the dignity restored to my people. And I think that's a really honorable desire. He says in verse 49, Lord, where are your former loving kindnesses, which you swore to David in your truth? Remember, Lord, the reproach of your servants, how I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples with which your enemies have reproached, O Lord, with which they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. God, see what they're doing. And then he closes and he says, Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. And I think that's cool. I like the way the psalm ends. I think all the psalms except for two end on the upswing, the upbeat. And I think for us, it's it's a message in that. And you want to know what the message is? That when you pray, you end on the upbeat. You end on the upswing. You end in faith. You end in confidence. Just knowing, you know what? God's going to do it, man. He really is going to bless you because He loves you so much. And so let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You so much, Lord, for allowing us just to get into the Psalms tonight. Uh, Father, um, I just pray in my own life, Lord, that I would um, really, really take this to heart, Father. Um, I remember hearing someone said when it comes to trials and, and, and difficulties that there's either a repairing going on or a preparing going on. That either we're going through the trials right now or they're ahead of us, the hard times. And so, Lord, I pray when that hard time comes, that I would remember the word of the Lord today, that you're faithful, that you're merciful, Lord. And even though I might not be able to see it, I see it with the eyes of my heart, knowing, God, that your word is true and that, Lord, even though the enemy comes in, that God has the final say. And so, Lord, I pray you would encourage us tonight, encourage my brothers and sisters Sometimes I feel, Lord, just like um, like a novice. I feel so wet behind the ears, Lord, because I know some of the things that they go through and some of the hard times that they experience and the heartache and the heartbreak. And my heart really does go out to them, Lord. And so just in case there is one or two or, or any here tonight, Lord, that find themselves in that pit, in that, in that dark place, in that, 
that empty place. They feel so alone. Lord, they, they feel far. Um, they're hurting. I pray tonight you would encourage them. And you lift them up and you set their feet on a rock. That rock is you. And who knows, Lord, maybe there's even one or two tonight that need to recommit their life to you or completely commit their life to you. Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and for all of our sins. And I pray that we would trust you as our Lord and Savior tonight. Speak life, Lord, I pray. And I thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.